You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. We wrap up one of the most interesting seasons I've ever covered and definitely the most unique. Usually by season's end, you're completely drained. There's no doubt that that's the case given all that we had to cover from June forward. But there were so many good stories here late, it was also energizing. Anyway, today, the play-by-play voice of the Washington football team, Bram Weinstein and I, rehash the season, talk a little bit about the game against Tampa, and touch on the key topics quarterback, what goes on with Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke, other offseason decisions, what was established, and how this year was a cleansing for many. Don't forget you can follow Bram on Twitter at RealBramW and listen to him on ESPN 630. You can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about Alex Smith and his future. And now, here's my conversation with the play-by-play voice of the Washington football team, Bram Weinstein. Well, Bram, we're kind of we're wrapping up when it was, was probably one of the most interesting, unusual seasons that we've ever been around. I'm curious, just from an on-field perspective, what is, what do you, what do you take away from this season and from Saturday night in particular? Uh, I take away mainly that. Um, there's a different culture here that was promised. You know, we've heard this a million times, especially here, but it really happened at least for a year. So things are different. And that even with a clear amount of deficiencies and holes that need to be addressed, that they're going to be extremely competitive. And that's to me, the best sign of all of this, that the good teams don't have all the best players like Tampa Bay did, you know, the other night. You can win by developing players and having chemistry and team unity and buy-in. And we saw all of that this year, which I didn't know what to expect with no offseason, really. And there's been a lot of promises from a lot of big-name coaches here over the last 20 years. And you just don't know how it's going to go. And in this case, for a variety of reasons, it really worked. And the on-field product, I know some people are going to look at that record and go 7-9. and nine. And I'm going to go, this is not the standard operating procedure seven and nine. It is far from it. Like this is truly exactly what we hoped. The foundation was laid. The building blocks are there. The players you hoped would emerge as young stars did. And now they got some big questions to answer, but obviously I like where it's going. And you know, what's, you know, what struck me today, Bram and throughout the season, like we had, we did the wrap up interviews with all the players and, and, and with Ron Rivera, But throughout the season, and we referenced the Marty Schottenheimer year a few times throughout this podcast season, but the big difference is from start to finish, the players felt good about what was going on in that building. When Marty was here for the first five, six weeks, they didn't like him at all. There was almost a mutiny 
if you remember, there was never that with Rivera. I don't know that I've been around um, a team that has come out of a season like this uh, under 500. And, you know, they did make the playoffs, but under 500 that I think was feeling as good about itself as this team did. I don't know. Do you remember any other year like that? No, I mean, I still, you know, I think, and you and I probably agree on this, like, that was a mistake to fire Marty after one year. That was, that was really one of the big mistakes that was made early in the ownership tenure here, that it was. And he should have stuck with Marty. And I know there was a lot of personal conflicts that were going on between the owner and the coach. There was a power dynamic that he learned about very early, you know, in his tenure that Marty was going to be the smartest guy in the room, didn't want to hear it, stay out of his way. And they had really turned a corner and they were playing really well. And it does feel similar. Like the defense got really good. There were some playmakers there. They started to win games. They were very competitive in these games. But I think we all knew what the score was. And that's what's different here is that we're not, we weren't waiting out to see what was going to happen with Rivera. We know it's his show. We know it's just year one. We know that there's going to be a lot of changes. And I mean, honestly, you know, from start to finish, there's nobody. The only thing that's comparable, you know, that this team had to deal with that everyone else did was COVID and protocols. Everything else, I mean, <laughs> I heard Rod Rivera on the on the postgame show driving home from the game. And Scott Jackson asked him, like, how would you describe your one in Washington? And he started <laughs> laughing. And he was basically like, I don't think I could do that right now. Ask me tomorrow because it's too long of an answer. So, you know, it does feel similar to the Marty year, but clearly the organization's in a different space to allow for the growth to happen. And the other part of it, too, is there really weren't a lot of veterans on this team like there was on Marty's team. Right. Like he had some old, you know, star players who were entitled, even people like Daryl Green, you know, he'd been here for a very long time and kind of just didn't want to hear it. And so the message, I think, was better here because these were young guys that were willing to buy in with some leadership and take some of their own ownership. And I think one of the best things that happened was organically Chase Young's a captain, organically Terry McLaurin's a captain. You know, one's in his second year, one's in his first, you know, like that's different. That's different than trying to get buy in from guys who are about to go to the Hall of Fame that are going, I'm not listening to this guy. I don't care what his credentials are. So I think that was different here, too. And, and that's why I say, like, it, it struck me because they're two and seven, and those guys still enjoyed being on the field and being around each other. I think that's what has been unusual about this year. And there were some of the Gibbs teams I felt like were pretty close, too. But it really, this was an unusual year in that regard. Um, you know, moving forward, what would you say, like, what's the, for you, the number one thing you've got to get squared away with a GM, quarterback, what? I don't think it's the GM. I think that that just because of the dynamic that that person who's going to come in here is probably going to be someone who has a previous relationship to Ron Rivera. And I think that person has probably been pre-selected, but that's just a guess for me. So I think that person's going to be in lockstep. Like there's not going to be a new thought process about how they're going to pick players. Like they're going to bring in someone who's going to take duties off of, you know, the coach's plate. That's how I see that kind of working here. The quarterback's the biggest thing. And I don't know what the answer is. Like, I think Kyle Allen will be back. I think this Taylor Heineke guy has bought himself an opportunity to compete in the spring. And maybe he's quarterback three or two, something like that. But I think he's bought himself the opportunity to show that. I still think they're looking for who the starter is. And that's going to be the biggest question. Who do they go to get? in the open market 
or via trade to be likely the starting quarterback. And I, I don't know who the, what the answer is because I don't think there's the same level of access to viable solutions there like there was last, last offseason. And I also the, – the, the other big question along with the quarterback is Alex Smith's future. And I've always felt like – and I think this, this, his latest injury is an example of just – would it be hard to count on him for 16 games? And then what level of play are you getting along with that? It just – I could see him – and we've talked before. We don't know what he's going to do. He said he's going to take a few weeks to kind of work things out. But I could see him just saying, you know what, I finished the way I needed to. And even though he was hurt at the end, he did kind of – get back. And he always said it was about the journey to get here more so than just actually getting out there and playing, but we don't know. But what what would you do with it? If he says, I still want to play, what do you do? I hate saying this because it's so fresh and everything, but I don't think he's their solution moving forward. I really don't. Um, I appreciate everything he did. I'll give you a couple of metrics that will, I think, put some of it in context of like 35 qualified quarterbacks through the 2020 season. He and Dwayne Haskins are the only ones that did not throw a touchdown pass over 40 yards the yeah. entire year. You know, he had like the lowest in the air, um, like yardage per attempt of any quarterback. So while he was, you know, really, good story. really incredible story, a great leader for them. He solidified things. He's the reason why two and seven didn't go really wrong on right. them. Like he's the reason why they were able to kind of keep it together and end up in the position that they were. And I appreciate his work, the inspirational part of it and his leadership, but I don't see a viable solution to a 17 week season. Cause that's what right. it is next year, a 17 week season with him as the quarterback. And I just don't think that they want to go through another year where they're going okay, when are we playing Kyle? When are we playing Heineke? When are we playing the other guy? Like, I think that they would like to get someone that they believe, you know, hopefully, that they won't have injury issues to deal with or ones that, that unforeseen ones. So I, I don't know what he wants to do personally. I have a hard time believing that Washington feels like the right thing to do is to bring him back at 20 plus million dollars for the year. I think what also is going to happen too. And there, what one thing, and you know, Taylor Heineke, I agree with you. I, if I'm them, you've got to bring him back to at least compete for a roster spot. Yes. I'm not jumping to him competing for a starting job. Let's, you know, there's so much more there. And I think his durability will be an issue going forward. It's been an issue for him, but yeah, he's well, a guy he's in the league for a couple of years. There's a reason for that. You know, right. like, he was in Carolina with them a couple of years ago. They didn't bring him over immediately. So there's a reason for all of that. But I do think what he did bought him the opportunity to compete. And I, I like the idea of him being quarterback three right now at, at you know, at minimum. So I think he, he's offered an opportunity to compete. But I think this like rush to judgment off of what you saw for one game, which was really, you know, again, courageous and inspirational, all that stuff that he hung in there with Tom Brady. It's a fun, um, it's, fun it, it, it's a fun story. Again, it's like, you know, it's very different than Alex Smith, but somewhat like it where you go, that was incredible. I don't think he's our answer. You know, like, I don't think he's our Kurt Warner. Like we pulled him off of the grocery store shelves and the arena league. And now he's going to, you know, start his hall of fame run. I don't see that, but you know, maybe they do. And we'll see what he does, you know, in the, well, I think, and I think what he showed Bram too. And one thing I was going to get to is that, it's the mobility factor in this offense and what that means to them. And I know that Rivera's talked about that. He's a defensive minded head coach. The one thing defensive coaches always know is the hardest thing to defend is a guy like that because he made some plays out of nothing. That touchdown yes. run is a sack for 
any other quarterback on this roster, right? And so that's what he's going to add. So I think what my guess is what these guys, what Alex Smith and what Heineke have done is help provide a blueprint maybe more so for what they want to get. And they probably already knew anyways, but Alex Smith's knowledge of the offense, getting the ball out quick. And I think Heineke has that knowledge, the athleticism or the, the mobility, but maybe you can get that somebody who maybe you think it can be more durable too. Um, so I think it's going to provide, I think it showed them what could happen with this offense if you get guys playing at a certain level. Well, it's funny too. Like even in that first little glimpse against Carolina when he came in, and the first glimpse I really got of Kyle Allen, which was before he started, I started watching the games from last year again that he played in Carolina. You know, it, it's making more and more and more sense to me about Alex Smith that when when Rivera was saying, you know, we want to make sure he's able to protect himself, he is also saying we expect our quarterback to be aggressive and put his body on the line. Yeah. And we don't know if he can do that. And that's really a problem, too. Heineke and Allen are very similar mold of they'll scramble, they'll move, they'll take chances, they take hits, you know. And I think he wants somebody like that. And, I mean, look at Cam yeah. Newton's success in Carolina. He put his body on the line for them. You know, they, they structured an offense for him where he was basically a running back at times taking hits left and right. Like, he wants a tough quarterback what's well, a tough quarterback and you know we'll, we'll see what what that looks like in free agency or or probably via trade and I, I just at this point I can't figure out who that is for them I it's going to be hard to and that'll be the number one topic going forward but I do think it's you know one of the things that they'll have to decide do you go to the draft and if you go in the draft what how much do you bolster around these guys because you need to add more talent where whoever the quarterback is You've got to add some more talent at receiver and, and you know, maybe and get another tight end who's a, a pass catching threat um, and improve that because that's going to improve the play. Find a, another another lineman. So I don't think you get a rookie quarterback starting here either. Like this no. team, I think what you learned about this team is, is they have a, you know, the makings of a championship caliber defense. And you've got a two to three year window before these contracts are going to come up with these defensive linemen. This smells of we have to get a veteran quarterback in here yeah. who knows how to play and can fit into our offense and gives us a chance to be better on offense and score more points and make less mistakes and give our defense a, ch a chance to win. So this this whole thing sets up to me that they're going to be in the market for a veteran, that this is That's if they draft somebody, it'll be in the lower rounds to develop, but not to play. That's been my thought too. Is that the, that's the route they would try to go, and then maybe picking a guy in this third round or so. Who I don't even know who that is. Just throwing out a round more than a name, but just picking somebody there that you say, okay, this is a guy we like. He has these qualities. He's a, he reminds us of Taylor Heineke, but he's more durable. He's better, and you can develop him. And then that way, you know, you have the veteran, you have the bridge, and Kyle. You know, you have a guy in Kyle Allen who can kind of be in between those guys. That's what I would think. But that's I think so too. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. other part, too, is, you know, Rivera, sometimes he says out loud what he's going to do. And he said to you all today, you know, I'm going to talk to the owner about GM. That's a big hire. And the GM, you know, and the owner should have a say in all of that. Who's sure. the GM of the team. And he also said the quarterback, which really read to me. I know how close you are to Alex Smith. And I know, you know, what he did for this yeah. team. And I appreciate it. I want to tell you up front that we are probably not bringing him back. That's how that read to me. And we, we want, you know, you to know that and be on board with that. Not unlike when we called you to say Dwayne Haskins is not going to be here any longer because we know, you know, what your hopes were and how much you had pinned to that selection. 
And we don't want you out of the loop or surprised by any of that. And I think it's wise to do that in, in both of the cases of Haskins and Smith. And I think, and listen, the coach is usually going to meet with the owner anyways about the direction of the team, whatever is going on. So it's not unusual with that, but I do think that it could be exactly what you said because he does have the relationship with them. I think if Rivera is smart, he'd also tell him, and you're not going to propose any deals for us to get a quarterback. We'll take care of that. If he's smart, he'll, yeah. he'll, 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 yeah. he'll tell him that too. I think like, so. And there's nowhere for them to go in the draft. Trevor Lawrence is going number one. Justin Fields is not going to get to them at where they're picking. I don't think the BYU quarterback is going to be there where they're picking. So. so they'd have to move up to do it. And, and I don't, I don't see that. I, I don't, I really don't see it. And I really don't think that rookie quarterback is the way they want to go where it looks like they have this window where their defense, you know, with a couple of additions could be championship caliber. And I, I, that's why I think you've got to get a veteran quarterback in here who knows the ropes has been through the fights and is willing to, you know, take a run here, not unlike the way Alex Smith did a few years ago when he was traded for. And especially in this division, because he was even asked today about, you know, how you stack up against other teams in the divisions. Like, well, they won the division. So that's how they stack up. Which, that's right. You know, but I do think like when you're looking, when you're looking not just now, but for the next couple of years, which team is who's best set up to contend that whole time? I mean, everybody's got something, but this team has that defense and that defensive front that could set them up really well. So you get a veteran here and you can, I wouldn't say own the division. I think it's too way too early to say that, but you certainly have a chance to win this division and continue to get to the dance. I mean, listen, there are, look, there are, there's one, there are two possible quarterbacks that are extremely high priced that they'd have a shot at Deshaun Watson, dependent on what the price is. And if they're actually going to do that, which sounds actually crazy to me that they would trade him but who knows it might get so squeaky there that who knows and i don't think dallas is going to walk away from Dak prescott but i, don't, think I so. don't know i mean like i don't think they're going to go the route of kirk cousins and franchise him a second time and allow him to get into a leverage situation where he walks on them so i think the rubber's going to meet the road on them and they're going to offer him something i would think he takes it but he may not and if he doesn't He's going to be available. And those are the two I would look at and say, all right, you know, you're going to sp spend the preponderance of your cap room on a quarterback. I'd do it for either one of those guys. Outside of that, they have to figure out a way to do this so that they can go get the things that you're talking about. They need a left tackle. You know, they may need a left guard, maybe. I think they could use another wide receiver. They probably need another running back to go along with Gibson and McKissick they need a linebacker. They might feel like they need some secondary help. Like there are things that they need to go after and get, they have the room to do it. It all starts with how much are they spending to acquire the quarterback that they want. And I think they're always, they're also going to have to do it with an eye toward the future, as you brought up earlier with the defensive line and making sure that you're not just handing out a lot of money to guys, but giving out good contracts because you're going to have to be mindful of that as well. John Allen's contract is going to come up in a couple of years, right? That's number one. I, I think that comes I think, pain. That I think comes Allen, threat. Yeah, I, I think Allen. They're going to have serious, serious talks about an extension very soon. I, I think that's. I, I can see an extension getting done this off season with him. They're you know, spend not, a lot not, of money on Brandon Sheriff. That is about to happen. Yeah. So some of the big money is going to start getting doled out here very soon. They fortunately are in a very good cap position, and they could be in an incredible one if the cap actually ends up going down because right. all of a sudden teams like Philadelphia and New Orleans that are up against it already 
might be putting very good veterans on the market because they have to. So right. that's where things can change for them. Not at the quarterback position, obviously, but at other spots that they might be looking to fill, especially with New Orleans defensive players. Like if they have to make some very difficult choices on some very good defensive players, might be a couple of guys on the market you normally wouldn't get because of the COVID situation in the cap. I was going to say, they might be able to get some, you know, get some uh, um, guys on the cheaper this year because of the situation. Do you feel like one of the things too, from a fan base perspective, it feels like this fan base is as energized as they've been in a while. Do you agree with that? I do. I mean, I, I do. I, I, I think um, if you think this was same old, same old, you didn't watch the games then this year. You just didn't watch it. If you just assumed because you saw the record, then, then you didn't watch it. Um, I do feel like things are different. I think this was the first time in a while that you can kind of wrap your arms around the team that was on the field and get behind it. And Chase Young's presence, and I think, I, you know, we talked about this a lot, but, I, you know, I felt like this guy – He's going to be the most important presence to come into the organization on the field since RG3 and the most important defensive presence since Sean Taylor. And he lived up to every last bit of it. And so we have a star star on the team now. Like he's going to win defensive rookie of the year. Seven and a half sacks as a, as a rookie. What's it going to be year two, year three? He's playing with all pro caliber players next to him on the line. Um, this has the makings of being a dominant, dominant force. He becomes our J.J. Watt. And I think things are very different now. Like there is, he's going, I think he's going to have the type of presence with the fan base that Sean had um, in that he's going to become a favored son very quickly here. And I think that that makes a big difference. And so I, I do, I feel like there is a lot of energy now and you know, nationally, people will be like seven and nine, bad division, you know, shouldn't have been there, lost to Tampa Bay, shouldn't have been playing, whatever. I think all of us here locally that watched them knows that was not a seven and nine team, like, or not the typical one, that's for sure. But they were also, they were also an easier team to root for, I think, outside of Washington for the first time, probably maybe since Robert was here. It was, you know, I mean, you don't, you didn't, I mean, between the name and the owner and all that in the past, people just <laughs> despise this franchise. It does feel like there was almost a, there's still some issues going on here with the ownership and all that, but just from an on-field product, it felt like there was a cleansing this year almost with some aspects. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. I mean, there, there clearly was, you know, like the buildings changed, the coaches changed. They're trying to figure out a brand. Their, their helmets are different. Like everything is different. And the way they played was different, frankly, like, especially over the last few years where they got down 17 to the Eagles, they'd lose by 40. You know, like, like they never, right. they'd lay down in those games. Like I can't think how many times the Giants did it to them, you know, late in the season, bad Giants teams yeah. killing them or the embarrassing game against Atlanta at home or that Monday night game in New Orleans where they just got completely throttled and just showed no effort, you know, in the second half. We didn't have any of that this year. Like they lost more games than they won, but they were never out of anything. Not when the season mattered. And even last night where I think we all knew like, this was going to take a miracle, you know, to pull this off the way Tampa had been functioning. Yeah. Um, they were there. It's 18, 16, late third quarter, you know, going to the fourth quarter. Like they were a play away from pulling off a miracle last night. And this just sheer resiliency and courage and, and all that stuff. And that's just not something we'd seen a lot of. So is there a carryover? I hope so. Because if this is year two of that, then maybe it's not seven and nine anymore. Maybe it's more like 10 and six. And you start feeling like really good about where things are going. 
They haven't won double digit games. I got to look it up. They haven't won double digit games this season in, in I don't know, 2012. 2012. 2012. 2012. And then any other time this They haven't won 11. It would have been 1999 was the other time. They, they won 11. Yeah. In this century, it's it's been a long time. they won yeah, ten. They won ten. There, they haven't. They haven't won eleven games since nineteen ninety one. I mean, it's been a drought, you know. But it feels like, you know, it does really feel like that the slate being wiped clean happened on the field too, and that's the part we didn't know. And you know, I think Rivera was. It was interesting. Like <laughs> he saw it early. I mean, he said we have a shot at the division. We all made fun of him because he did it so early in the year. We're like everybody's got a shot at the division. It's week four. You know, like, why wouldn't you? But he saw what was happening with Dallas and Philadelphia. He saw that they were in big trouble and he knew these guys had a shot at it and they rewarded him by staying in games, winning a couple, no one expected winning a couple really ugly and getting through with a million different quarterbacks. I mean, really this, this is something I think that is is it's going to go down as if this thing turns and they become a team that becomes you know, like reliably competitive, which this franchise has not been since the early 1990s. We're reliably competitive. We're there, Seattle or the Rams under McVay now or New Orleans, where they're right there playing meaningful December football every year. Most of the time they get in. Sometimes they don't, you know, because the division happens to be good. You know, if we're going to look back at this year and go this was the true turnaround of the franchise. And, 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 you know, I think we both agree, like we've seen a lot of stuff over the years where you say, okay, this is heading the right direction and fans get that ball pulled away from them. So we don't know where that, where it's going to go, but this is at, at the end of the season from, from players and coaches and all that, it feels a lot different than it has before. And I know again, fans have heard that and they're tired of hearing that, but I think they kind of feel it too, because of what you hear from the players. And I, I think what we're hearing from them is genuine because it's what I hear from people who are, you know, you get away from conversations off the, you know, private conversations during the week and you talk to people who are close to these players and say, no, this is how they feel. They do like this. They do like that. So I think there's some genuine um, legitimate reason for hope, but here they've got to finish it for the first time in a while. Yeah. And that goes back to, they have to get a solution at quarterback because if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win. Like, so they've got to get, you know, somebody, it doesn't have to be Dak Prescott, but it's gotta be somebody, a professional professional quarterback, a healthier Alex Smith. They have to get somebody in here that they can count on um, that is going to ride what they've built. And I don't know who that person is. You know, that's the biggest question for them. All this other stuff we're talking about, I think they can find the people that they want. Like, yeah. you know, I, I look at Curtis Samuel. He's out on the market. He played in Carolina. He tore them there's up. Be, there's some interesting and I'm like, and I'm, options. And I, yeah, and I'm looking at him going, he's perfect, you know, for them. Like if they brought him in opposite of McLaurin where they can move him in the slot, move him to the outside. He's a perfect yep. receiver. And he's not Julio Jones, and he's not Mike Thomas, but he's a perfect player be. that can come into here. No, he doesn't need to be, but they do need to find the quarterback. I mean, you look at Saturday night, and if they had a couple other guys that better and more consistent receivers in some of those spots, game could go a little bit different early. So, you know, who knows? I think a lot of questions to be answered, but for the first time again in a while, I think fans will be paying attention to these questions that are being asked because if they're answered right, this thing could be more fun next year. So 
Bram, I hope you had fun as you, in your first year calling the plays here. It was oh, great. It was really, it was a blast. You know, the only things I wish I could have been different were the things that were out of everybody's control. I wish we could have traveled to the road games and I wish we could have had the crowd there. You know, like yeah, that was, I that really was wish I would, I would love to have heard that crowd last night when, I, when yeah. Heineke scored that touchdown. Yeah. Like what would that crowd have been last night when that happened? And um, would it have altered the outcome if you've got this frenzied crowd there, you know, looking at what might be one of the all-time upsets? You don't know, like what kind no, of effect that might have had. You don't, and and that's I tweeted that out during the game, and I agree with that. That it was a shame that fans could not be at that game. So I hope for the fans' sake that you get that shot next year. So I think I don't want to ever go through a season again where there are no fans in the stands. I think the other thing too is I'm amazed we got through it. Yeah, <laughs> just the fact that they had one game moved by no fault of their own and that we're and watching one playoff day. games today. It's amazing. It really is. Yep. Bram, thanks a lot for coming on. And there's going to be a lot to talk about in the next, however many months before we get to OTAs and then training camp, the draft, free agency, all that, all that, all that. Thanks, Bram. All right. Thanks, John. You've heard me talking about Lono coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, lonoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Brant for joining me. And as always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our shows during the season. There will be plenty more in the offseason because there's so much more to talk about. I will have another episode out during the week. Trying to line up a special guest. So when the next one comes out will depend on their availability. Stay posted. I'll talk to you next time.